The Zika virus has many officials nationwide and internationally concerned about the impacts on the population, especially pregnant women. Athletes are stepping down from the Rio Olympics in Brazil, countries are urging women not to have children, and general hysteria is driving people away from regions where the virus is prevalent. There was a wave of babies born with tiny heads in Brazil, and that one of the members of the uh, health ministry had asked women to stop having children if they could. And it just I just practically jumped out of my chair going, what? WAMC's Ian Pickus spoke with the author of a new book on the Zika virus. We've all heard plenty about the Zika virus by now, but it's hard to know. How worried should I be? What are my chances of getting Zika? Should I put off travel plans? Donald G. McNeil Jr. is a science reporter who covers disease for the New York Times, and he attempts to answer many of those questions in his new book, Zika, The Emerging Epidemic. Donald G. McNeil Jr., welcome to the roundtable. Thank you very much for inviting me. You write that the Zika virus has been around really since the 1940s. When did you first become aware of it? Well, I heard about it fairly recently, but not quite as a little earlier than everybody else. I had a phone call from a PR person for the University of Texas Medical School um, in uh, in September, and he said, "You know, we've got a doctor here who'd like to talk to you about a new a new disease, a, a new virus that's that's come to America. It's called Zika." And I said, "That's an interesting name." Um, now, remember, this is this is September, uh, so I did talk to the doctor. I got him Scott Weaver for about half an hour, and he, you know, he was describing this disease. But he said it was basically considered a mild disease, um, except that in rare cases it had caused uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a kind of creeping paralysis that starts in your hands and feet and uh, and goes towards your chest, but that most people recover from. And uh, but he said it, you know, it was worrisome. There are, there are a number of diseases that might come to the Americas from other countries, and. He sent me a paper he'd written in 2009, and Zika was mentioned in it, but it was sort of one of the also-rans. It was, uh, he, he, the two he worried most about were Rift Valley Fever and Japanese encephalitis. And so I thanked him for the conversation, and I you know, had taken my notes, and I you know, made sure I could read them, and then I stapled them and stuck them into my head-scratcher pile. As this is kind of an interesting thing that I might want to write about someday. Mm-hmm. And I went back to whatever story I was working on then. And then it was the week after Christmas, and things were really quiet here at the paper. And... Uh, I was I write a weekly global health um, item. It's not really a column. It's a very short thing. And I was looking for something to write about that week and um, scanning websites having to do with diseases. And, and I saw a story out of Brazil saying that there was a wave of babies born with tiny heads in Brazil and that one of the members of the uh, health ministry had asked women to stop having children if they could. And it just I just practically jumped out of my chair going, what? You know, I've never heard of any government asking women to stop having children because, you know, taken to extremes, that's the end of the country. No more kids, no more Brazil. Um, you know, there's, there's China's one-child policy, but that was economic and that was one child that was different. So I called the one doctor I knew in Brazil and said, is this for real? And, you know, what caused it? And and, and he said, yes, it's for real and it's terrifying. These babies are being born. And, and he said, you know, their lives are ruined. Their parents' lives are ruined. Uh, these, these are kids who are never going to be able to walk or talk or speak. Um, you know, they're, they're basically, you know, some of them are going to die early and some of them are just going to, you know, lie there. They they will never be able to move, may not be able to control their bowels, have, will have all sorts of physical problems. And he said, we don't know what it is. We we know there was this disease that went through about nine months ago. It was a mild disease. We don't know if women have been infected with dengue, which was also here, and then got this disease, 
or if it's all, the disease all by itself. He said, it's a, it's a big mess. And he said also, he said, you know, the Olympics are going to happen. We've had this really bad El Nino year. The mosquitoes are still around. You know, the Olympics is going to be a mess. So that made me write about it instantly that afternoon. And um, Brazil had just declared a state of emergency. So our Rio bureau chief um, canceled his vacation, his Christmas vacation. And he came and he wrote a front page story uh, the day after that. So he and I have been working on it together basically ever since. Uh, you have written that the summer would be key to Zika in the states, uh, in North America. Why is the summer seen as so important? Well, um, the virus has moved very rapidly out of northeast Brazil and has moved virtually every place else in the Western Hemisphere where there are Aedes aegypti mosquitoes. It's in Mexico. It's in Puerto Rico, which is part of the United States. It's in every island in the Caribbean. It's all the way down South America, all the way to northern Chile and Argentina, where it begins to get cold again. Um, and uh, so basically, Florida's next. Texas is next. Um, the Gulf Coast is next. Parts of Hawaii may be next. We have, I mean, we know that there are Aedes aegypti mosquitoes there. Those are the same mosquitoes that carry dengue and chikungunya, and we've had small outbreaks of dengue and chikungunya in Florida and Texas. Um, uh, also, nobody has any immunity to this disease. Uh, you know, they're they're what's called immunologically naive, and you know, the great example of immunological naivete is um, you know the American Indians when white people arrived here um, in the 1400s. I mean, the white people brought measles and smallpox and a dozen other diseases, and 90% of the Indians were wiped out, ultimately, because they had no protection against any of these diseases. Um, so, I mean, this is not this is not that. Zika is not fatal. Uh, it's not even dangerous, except to newborn, to, to unborn children. Um, but we are, we are naive. We have no protection. We have no antibodies. So for those who live in the areas where the mosquitoes are rampant, there's the possibility of an epidemic. You mentioned, of course, that it's uh, incredibly dangerous for uh, women who are having children or attempting to have children. But what about the rest of the population? Um, what happens if you are bitten by one of these mosquitoes? It's not for the rest of the population. It's not that big a deal. Um, you know, it's a mosquito-borne disease, but it's not malaria. It's not the yellow fever. It's not dengue. Uh, you know, those can all kill. This is this one. Eighty um, percent of people have no symptoms. For the twenty percent that do have symptoms, it's um, usually they get a low fever. You know, one hundred and two, hundred and three at most. Um, they uh, they get a rash uh, on their body. It's a kind of looks like a hives rash. Not like, it's not like a chickenpox rash where you have pustules. It's more like red raised bumpy rash. Um, get bloodshot eyes, conjunctivitis, um, uh, headache, uh, aches and pains, swollen joints. So it's not fun, but it's not the end of the world. Almost nobody's ever hospitalized from it. Um, there is one rare side effect called Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, which uh, we live with some risk of Guillain-Barre at all times. I mean, you can get Guillain-Barre after uh, after a bad cold, uh, after a stomach virus. You can get it from eating undercooked chicken you can get it from as a, a side effect or a reaction to surgery sometimes. And Gambare can be really scary. Um, you know, there are a few people who die from it because the paralysis creeps in all the way to their their diaphragm and their chest muscles and they can't breathe. But for most people it's a it's a kind of paralysis that comes on. It can last for months. It's not necessarily total paralysis. I know a guy who had it who just basically just got it in his hands and feet and he couldn't type and he had some trouble walking for a while, but then it went away. Um, from this, from, from Zika appears to raise the risk, if you're 
normal risk is about one in a hundred thousand per year, um, it raises it to about one in four thousand. So that's increasing the risk by twenty-five times, but it's still a rare risk. And we live with one in four thousand risks all the time. You know, I mean, you live with a worse than one in four thousand risk of getting hit by a car in your lifetime, for example. And yet we all drive and cross streets. Let me ask you about uh, something you said earlier about the the fact that the Zika has spread so far and wide. How is that? How is that happening? Uh, it's not like the mosquitoes can fly thousands of miles. How is this spread taking place? The mosquitoes don't have to fly thousands of miles because people will do it for them. Hmm. Um, somebody gets the gets the virus in their blood from being bitten by a mosquito, and they get on an airplane. The virus stays in their blood for about ten days. They get off the airplane, and there's some place where. Uh, the, another mosquito is waiting to bite them and carry the blood, carry the virus on to somebody else. So um, that's the way most diseases transmitted. It's, uh, it's it, mosquitoes are lucky if they make it a mile in their lifetime. I mean, once in a while, a mosquito in Africa will get onto a plane and take a vacation in France and you know fly off and and bite somebody. And there is a phenomenon called airport malaria. Uh, near Charles de Gaulle Airport in France, you get two or three cases of malaria every year. And that's why when planes leave Africa, one of the things they do is that the flight attendants walk down the aisle spraying insecticide. People get all upset about it, but the idea is to protect them from malaria. Um, so that's that's rare. That's not how the disease is transmitted. The disease is transmitted by, by people taking it to areas where the right mosquitoes are flying around and biting. And the parts of this country where those mosquitoes are is is basically... Florida, the Gulf Coast, Southern Texas. I mean, up up in Albany, there is not much risk. Um, there's, uh, you know, it, it, it's true that mosquitoes, that adhesive type mosquitoes, have been found as far north as New York State um, in the past, but it's rare and it's small numbers and it's at the end of long, hot summers. So there's a possibility, but the risk is not very high uh, outside of the Deep South and uh, Hawaii and a couple of other tropical places. Isn't it also the case that there's a very good chance you might have it without knowing it? Yes. The 80% chance if you've got it. I mean, if you, I'm going to Puerto Rico next week and uh, I might get it. And if I get it, there's a, you know, four out of five chance I won't even know I have it. And then there's a one out of five chance um, I might, uh, you know, I'll get the symptoms that I described. Um, Now, I'm not pregnant and I'm not trying to get anybody pregnant. So I'm not a, you know, a serious risky vector, even if I get sick. But, um, you know, for anywhere in the United States, uh, you know, tropical and non-tropical, even in northern Greenland, if, if a guy comes back with the uh, with the disease, he can possibly pass it on. And the, the danger is, you know, and the, and the warnings from the CDC and the WHO is, you know, if you are with someone who was pregnant or is trying to get pregnant, you need to not have unprotected sex. You know, you no unprotected sex for the length of the pregnancy. Uh, they suggest um, before, you know, if the wife or girlfriend is pregnant and if they're uh, trying to get pregnant, uh, they should wait six months, uh, basically, because um, the virus has been known to break into men's testicles and, and live in their semen um, for up to two months. And the CDC's way of being cautious about things is it takes the longest known period that a bad thing can happen, and then it triples it to make sure. So they, they know it can last for two months because there have been two cases that have been found. So they say, wait six months to be sure that you don't have the virus in your semen. Now, there's no vaccine for Zika. As we speak, Congress has left uh, for the summer, and there's uh, somewhat of a big fight where, where many of the Democrats are pushing for an increase in spending on uh, studying Zika. Uh, how close are scientists to you know, creating a vaccine for Zika? You know, the, 
Congress did not pass a bill before it went into recess. That's a problem, but it won't stop the beginning stages of making vaccines. Uh, there are about 18 different vaccine candidates being worked on by various companies and research institutes. The NIH, the National Institute of Health, is working on three, and one of them might be ready as early as September for safety testing. Uh, Tony Fauci, who's the head of the Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, says. Um, but that safety testing is going to take two years, um, and there's really no way around it. Uh, two years is, is the, the best-case scenario, and it's because you you cannot make a mistake with a vaccine. Um, you know, when, when somebody's dying of cancer, you know, you can try out any kind of wild, dangerous, toxic drug on them because they're going to die otherwise. But vaccines are put into healthy people, and ultimately the target for these vaccines is, is um, pregnant women or women who are about to get pregnant, and they're the most vulnerable members. They and their babies are the most vulnerable members of society. So you have to make sure that a vaccine is absolutely dead sure it is safe, and you have to make sure it works. Um, interestingly, in some ways, the best vaccine for Zika is to go out and get bitten, um, as long as you're not pregnant and and not going to get pregnant during those during the first two weeks after you've been bitten. So it would not be a terrible thing, uh, you know, for 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 girls who are not pregnant. It would actually be a good thing to get Zika and recover from it, since it's a mild disease. Um, since 80% of the people don't even have symptoms, and since you are then safe, we don't. We don't know how long the immunity is, you know, in the same way that, you know, you have chickenpox once, you don't get chickenpox again. You have smallpox once, if you survive, you don't get smallpox again. Measles the same way. This disease seems to be similar. It seems to be something you get once and then you have antibodies and you're immune. We don't know if it's lifetime immunity because we've only studied it for less than a year, but... Um, uh, it, but it looks like long-lasting immunity. So presumably, if a girl gets infected, she can recover and then go on to have healthy babies later. So the hypothesis is then that uh, over the years, this this should um, should tend to taper off a bit then? Correct. Yeah. In fact, there was a study that was just released today um, doing mathematical modeling of the epidemic in Latin America, uh, particularly in South America. And it says, you know, this should this should die out completely within two or three years. And then when it comes back, this is even if nobody invents a vaccine, and, and I'm confident a vaccine will be invented, but even if n- nobody invented one, um, the disease would probably disappear for 10 years at a time. Because what you'd have is a population where, you know, maybe 90% of the population would be immune. And so even if somebody came back with the virus, the mosquitoes would pick it up from them, but then they couldn't pass it on to anybody else because they'd have immunity. So you have to wait for a whole new generation of kids to be born before you have enough kids who are uh, not immune to sustain an epidemic so that mosquitoes would be able to bite basically children and pass the disease back and forth. That's the way diseases used to work in the old days before vaccines. I mean, measles would come along. It wasn't like there was always measles present in New York City or anyplace else. It was more like there'd be an outbreak and almost everybody would get infected. And then you'd have 10 or 20 years where there wouldn't be any measles around, and then somebody new would come back with measles, and you know parents wouldn't get infected because they had immunity, but the kids would get infected, so you, and that's why these became childhood diseases. It's not the children are the only ones that are susceptible; it's that um, it's that they're the, it's usually the children of the generation that hasn't had it before. So diseases tend to go among uh, back and forth among young people. Now that might be good news for people who uh, aren't, you know, building a family. Um, you did allude to this earlier in the interview, though. There's going to be a generation of of children born with microcephaly, and you know, what are their prospects, and and you know, what kind of challenge does that pose? Their prospects are miserable. I mean, 
mean, some of them are going to die in the first week of life, and some of them are never going to walk, never going to talk. Some of them are going to be blind and, and, and deaf. Um, some with extremely mild cases um, may be okay. They may have emotional problems. They may have learning problems. Um, there's a theory, and I've written about this, that um, even children who are born apparently healthy may have a higher rate of, of schizophrenia and uh, uh, bipolar disorder later in life. Um, there's a fair amount of evidence that when you injure a baby in the womb while its brain is, brain is growing, um, you have consequences. It may not be obvious. It may, it may not, there may not be obvious emotional or learning disabilities early in life, but then um, there, are, there are higher rates of schizophrenia among babies born towards the end of the flu season each year, among the generation of babies born right after the uh, 1957 flu, uh, the Asian flu. Um, there are other viruses that that do um, do similar brain damage and are and are thought to um, thought to lead to higher rates of uh, schizophrenia and and uh, bipolar disorder later in life. So it's quite scary prospects. I mean, this is this is something where nobody should worry about it if they're not pregnant. But if they're pregnant, um, they should worry a lot. And if they're thinking about getting pregnant, this is not a good time to think about getting pregnant if you're in an area where Zika is likely to be transmitted. But that's more of a worry for Florida than it is for upstate New York. Um, just just one more question. You've covered uh, so many diseases and epidemics uh, over the years. How do, how do you put Zika into context with some of the other ones that have dominated our headlines? Um, well, you have to sort of look at the number of people who die. I mean, that's a crude, you know, mean way of judging a disease. But, you know, one and a half million people around the world are going to die of tuberculosis this year. More than a million people are going to die of AIDS this year. Uh, about half a million kids are going to die of malaria this year. Um, Ninety people are going to die in the United States of traffic accidents today and again tomorrow and the day after that. So in that context, Zika isn't that scary. You know, it, it, you know, worry less about Zika and more about putting on your seatbelt. Um, on the other hand, it's a new disease, so um, you need to think about it. Um, uh, you know, Ebola is a disease that is terrifying because we've seen the hot zone or, or movies based on it. And um, it's a disease that causes this particularly horrible kind of death, you know, hemorrhagic fever. Um, but, you know, the outbreak in West Africa was controlled fairly, I mean, a huge effort, but it was controlled by doing sensible things like, you know, stopping people from, from handling dead bodies and uh, and basically giving good nursing care to the sick without the, the uh, infection being passed on. Um, when there were cases of Ebola came to the United States, we handled them. There was only one case where one victim transmitted it to two nurses, and that's because the hospital had not given them good enough protective gear, and they'd gotten bad advice from the CDC about protective gear. But other than that, everybody who came back from overseas with Ebola didn't pass it on to anybody, and and uh, all but one of them recovered, didn't die. So diseases can be handled. I mean, I mean, you know, you need vaccines, you need good nursing care, you need um, mosquito control, depending on the disease. But you know, it, it's very important that the country stay alert. It's important that they spend enough money to be ready to handle these things. You know, I mean, we've had you know trillions spent on missiles for a war that never came. We don't spend nearly enough money worrying about diseases that, you know, year after year do get to this country. Donald G. McNeil Jr. is a science reporter for The New York Times. His new book is called Zika, The Emerging Epidemic. Donald, thank you so much for your time and for your reporting. Thank you very much for inviting me. 
That was WAMC's Ian Peckis reporting for Everything Explained. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. You can check out our other pod-friendly programming, like Listen with the Lights On for you scary story fans, Retcon for you nerdy fans, and Food Friday Leftovers for you foodies out there. For this program, which is Everything Explained, I'm your host and producer, Patrick Garrett.